Shut up and sit down. I'm Dr. Corbin Weaver, an OB-GYN resident. I'm Dr. Katie Wyatt, and I'm one too. And I'm Dave Etler, their pod father. And, and we, we are, are the Vagabonds. Three friends venturing through the world of feminism and healthcare for women, babies, and people of all kinds. We don't give medical advice, and we don't speak for anyone other than ourselves. We're just recording conversations we'd be having in bars anyway. Hello. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking about breach delivery, what it is, etc. Awesome. Exciting. Yeah. Do you think anybody really believes that we'd be sitting around talking about breach delivery in bars? Um, well, if they know me and Corbin, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I wouldn't bring um, it up, but I would be happy to talk about it with you. It's exciting stuff. Breach yeah. delivery. What is breach delivery, Dave? Well, that's when... Uh, oh, sick. Okay, so usually... Or babies should ideally come out head first and mm-hmm. facing in the proper direction. And I think that direction is with their head toward the I mean, front, their face toward the front. Mm-hmm. No. Face no. toward the back, obviously. Yes. Come on. But yes, head down. Head down, face toward the back. But sometimes babies don't come out that way. They come out butt first or legs first or sideways or they can try to come out all kinds of different ways. And that is a Mm -hmm. breach birth or a breach presentation. Yeah. So a breach presentation is, yeah, when the head or not the head is down, uh, the bottom is down. uh, Yeah. Because... Yeah, so specifically the butt is down because there's also like a transverse lie, which is where not the head or the butt is down. Um, There are different classifications, actually, of breach presentations, though. I feel like with breach, like, this is some, like, something a lot of people have heard of because you hear people having cesareans for breach deliveries. So, um, this literally happened to us today. It did happen to you today? Yeah, we had somebody come in and she's breech. So we're like, oh, you can't have an induction anymore. Did you try an ECV? No, she didn't want one. Ah, bummer. I know. But anyway. What's an ECV again? Remind our listeners. We'll talk about it. I'm actually going to talk about it later, but it's an external cephalic version. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen one of them. Clear as mud. Yeah, they're not, they're fun. Oh, because didn't Christine have one? She did. And it was successful? It Well, it not at that moment, but. We uh, we think perhaps that Coraline was like, hey, I think they're pushing on me for a reason. I'm going to. So like within by the time by the time the uh, the birth actually came around, she was head down. She finally agreed. Also, as we say, cephalic. Cephalic. You can also say vertex. She was cephalic. Yeah, the cephalic and vertex are different things. We had this they are di- um, conversation they are different things. with one of our I know attendees the other day. I know they are different <laughs> things, but. I know. I'm not telling you. Yeah, tell me. I'm telling the people. But no, one of our attendants was like, is she vertex? And we're like, uh, she's cephalic. And he's like, well, it's like the same thing. And we're like, uh, no, it's not. Because you can be cephalic and have like a face presentation or something bad like that. Nice. Dropping some knowledge on the attending. I know. It was a good time. Good job. Yeah. So, um, the different classification. So, fun fact, breach presentation persists in three to 5% of term deliveries. There was not which, actually that many. Which is not really that many. Um, also, I should note, this is from Williams Obstetrics. Ah, the best. Williams Obstetrics is like the Frank Nutter of the OB-GYN world. Yeah. He's like, the. it's I, from uh, Parkland Hospital in UT Southwestern. Um, fun fact, 
Uh, so not really that many though. One time when I was at nights, it felt like everybody was coming in breach. It was <laughs> yeah. It does feel like you get a bunch of them. Yeah. Um. So anyway, the, there are different classifications of breach. So there's um frank breach, which is the legs are flexed at the hips and then extended at the knees, so the feet are by the head. Um, it's like pike position. Yeah. And then there's complete uh, breach, which the hips are flexed, and then one or both of the knees are flexed, so it's kind of like sitting, I guess, if you will. Crisscross applesauce. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, in Spanish, when they say breach, they actually say the baby's um, sentada, which means sitting, which oh, I kind precious. of, yeah, I kind of enjoy that. Um, and then there's incomplete breach, where one or both of the hips are extended, so one can be folded, but one is extended. And then um, kind of like if you were like skipping on one foot or hopping on one foot. And then footling breach is a type of incomplete breach, actually, with one or both feet are presenting the presenting part. So like, for instance, you could be complete breach, but have like the knees presenting and and that's still incomplete. But you could also if the feet are the presenting part, which the presenting part means that, that that's the part that comes out first um, is are the feet. It's a footling breach, which is a kind of a fun word. I always thought footling footling. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. It sounds like a J.R.R. Tolkien creature. Yeah, that's true. Um, So there are like actually risk factors for being breech or having a breech baby, I should say early gestation. So, like, early on in pregnancy, it's common for the baby to, like, move around and stuff like that. So, if you're early in your gestational age, um, that's a risk factor for being breech. If you have too little or too much fluid, go that oligo or polyhydramnios. Um, if you're multiple fetal gestation. Um, if there are uterine abnormalities, we've talked about some of these before. Like binate cornet uterus, like two humps on the uterus, that kind of thing. Um, if there's a placenta previa, um, or if you've had prior breach deliveries. And Dave actually kind of set me up for this, but uh, he was talking about how we like the baby's face to be um, face to the back. So the actually the position of uh baby so is determined by a breech baby is determined by their sacrum instead of the back of their head mm. their sacrum being the the sp- the spine their butt the bone butt of. bone yeah so like when you talk about a baby's position you talk about the occiput when they're cephalic so like if their head's down you talk about their position with the back of their head is what you say so like you would say ac- occiput anterior if they're facing to the back meaning the back of their head is towards the front of the mom. And if they're facing the other way, they're occiput posterior. Got it. So then if they're breached, you talk about their sacrum. So you'd say sacrum anterior or sacrum posterior. Got it. Yeah. When there's a baby is breached, typically what's kind of like standard of care more or less is a cesarean section. Um, And that's if like an ECV doesn't work, if the patient decides they want an ECV and it doesn't work. So, um... And why is that? Why do we do a C-sections for breech deliveries? Um, because a baby can come out breech. Like, that's physically possible um, sometimes. Just like it's sometimes physically possible for a baby to come out cephalic. But, uh, so there was a study in 2000. And it's been, like, kind of, I mean, it's more controversial than it is studied, I would say. 
Um, mm. But there's a term breach trial in 2000. Um, and it was a randomized control stat, uh, trial. So they um, assigned some breach women. And these were in like healthy women, uncomplicated pregnancies. They were either um, planned to a vaginal delivery or they were planned to a planned cesarean. And so the term breach trial found that planned cesarean was associated with lower risk of perinatal. So around the time of birth for the infant mortality and quote unquote serious perinatal morbidity, meaning death and or harm, like bad harm to the baby. Um, so let's see the the risk of perinatal mortality in the planned cesarean was three per 1,000 versus 13 per 1,000 in the planned vaginal delivery. You say mortality? And then it, for serious natal, ne- neonatal morbidity, there's 1.4% in the in the vaginal, or sorry, in the cesarean and 3.8% in the vaginal birth. Uh, and then the maternal morbidity was actually similar between the two groups. So there are like a lot of critics of this trial. There are a lot of criticisms of its like methods and stuff. So a lot of people will like say that it's not like a valid study, but um, so people will say that like few, like not very many people underwent like pelvimetry to see if their um, pelvises were adequate, though pelvimetry is like kind of also controversial and by kind of controversial, I mean actually controversial. Um, pelvimetry is basically where you measure the dimensions of a woman's pelvis to determine if she'd be able to have a baby. And um, I have one attending who's like super into it, but say, you know, whatever. And then, um, and that like the serious, the, the, the like complications they included in the quote serious needle neonatal morbidity group were actually like wouldn't cause long-term damage kind of thing so there's that um there's a study from france the premoda study it showed no di- difference in neonatal outcomes but so the evidence is kind of mixed but because of this term breach trial it's pretty much considered like standard of care to like deliver a breech baby via cesarean. I don't know how I feel about them personally yet, but I know how to do it based on simulations. <laughs> yeah, you got the book learning. Yeah, I've book learned it. So you haven't done... Kind of scares me. You haven't done hardly any. I haven't done if, it. If any. I haven't done it on a real person. Oh, okay. And by simulations, do you mean like in a with a, an, a physical dummy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we... Yeah, like a lot of... Basically, that's how people learn these days how to do that. Like, it's pretty rare that we deliver breech babies anymore, vaginally, like on purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty twins. much. That's the only time. Yeah. Twins is pretty much the only time. And that's a breech extraction. Why um, Why for twins? Because there was a study that showed breech extraction of the second twin is more safe. So so it's more again? safe to deliver one twin vaginally if you can and then the second twin breach. Breach. But it's yeah. less well, safe to do the same thing but the second twin. Well, I don't know that less is the right word but like so it's acceptable. You can, you can only do a breach delivery of twins if it's the second twin. Yeah, the second twin. And usually the first twin has to be bigger. Ah, so so we're yeah. talking about the the first twin sort of sort of made the made the way bigger yes. or sort of cleared the way, let's say. Yes. And that makes it easier for that. Now I get it. That makes total sense. Okay. Yeah. 
And also there's lots of people who don't want a breech extraction of a second twin. So basically you deliver the first twin vaginally and then just see what happens. So like a baby, so the second twin can either flip cephalic or flip breech. It's, you don't know until after delivery. Sure. So you can have a once he's got a little room in there birth of the first twin and then a C section of the second twin. So like once he's got a little room in there, he could he could flip. Basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I get it. So and this is like we're talking about term infants, so like full term, thirty seven weeks or more. Um, preterm, it's pretty much like widely accepted. You don't really do, you don't deliver preterm infant breach vaginally just because relatively their heads are larger than their bodies. Hmm. And um, the kind of feared risk is head entrapment, yeah, which is deadly. Yeah, yeah. Which um, I guess makes sense if you we were kind of just alluding to it with the twins, is that like with a delivery of a cephalic infant, you know, like the widest part, which is really the shoulders, but the head kind of like paves the way, and then after you get past the shoulders, you can pretty much just like slide the rest of the baby out. But with um, a breech infant, you can kind of like gradually get bigger, which is not really what you want. So delivery complications, there are many. Um, umbilical cord prolapse is actually more common with breech, but that's that's because the butt's down and so the cord can basically just fall down. And then it's being compressed between the baby and the, and the uterus, right? That would be... A bad it could right. be compressed exactly. between anything, yeah. really. I mean, but if it's a prolapse, it means it's come out the cervix, yeah. and it yeah, and it is getting squished, basically. Yeah, it's it's, that's an emergency. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we had one uh, today too. Oh, that's exciting! You had one today. Yeah. No yikes! That's like my biggest fear. I know, Sam's not my biggest fear, but. <laughs> One of, one, of one of your many, I just, many, many, one of my fears. many fears. Uh, also, like the risk of like bad lacerations or tears are more common with breech delivery, head entrapment we talked about, cervical lacerations, um, extension of the hysterotomy, which means your um, the, the cut that you make on the uterus gets extended if you do a C-section. Hmm. Um, so kind of moving on. There are like different maneuvers that we do to like get the baby out. So there are actually three types of vaginal breech deliveries. So there's a spontaneous breech delivery. This is really rare, but that just means that no traction or manipulation is done by the provider. And then basically just the baby comes out by itself. Um, And then there's a partial breech extraction, which I think is probably what most people think of when they think of breech deliveries, where basically the baby delivers itself to the umbilicus and then the provider starts doing maneuvers. Um, And I won't like speak in too much details about how it goes, but so the butt um, comes out, right? And you actually are like, it's, you're not supposed to attempt a vaginal breach delivery if the presentation is either incomplete or footling breach. Um, I think it has to do with dilation and all that jazz. But um, you don't get dilation. You want the hips to dilate the cervix because that's the other widest part. Yes. Um, So usually the posterior hip delivers. So the back hip delivers first. And then the anterior hip delivers and then it kind of like the baby swings around. So the the butt is at the top of the mom. And then um, so the the basically the provider delivers the legs and then they put traction on the baby until they can deliver the arms and then the head comes out and et cetera, et cetera. So 
And by traction, you just mean they pull on the baby. Uh, yeah, I guess. Gently. Gently, yes. yeah. You're not like... Gentle traction, yes. Doing the tug um, of war pose or anything. Um, yeah. And then, so the like feared complication is head entrapment. Um, you can, a uh, couple of things you can do. First, you can just like reach up to the cervix and try to like reduce the cervix around the head, which sometimes works. Which means um, that you're doing what? So it means you basically push the cervix back, yeah. Sort of like stretching a rubber band around it? Yeah. Yeah. So if Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, so you just push it back. Um, You can also make cuts on the cervix. They're the Dursen cuts, incisions, and they're at 2 o'clock and 10 o'clock. That's why adequate uh, epidural anesthesia is recommended for any breech delivery Mm. because you might have to do some nasty things. Um, yeah, those are terrifying you, to me. Yeah, you can also give intravenous nitroglycerin um, and halogenated agents, and that's to um, basically relax the uterus to let it release the baby's head. Um, and then in an extreme maneuver or extreme measure, you can actually do a Zavanelli, which means push the baby back up into the uterus. Mm. And deliver it via C-section, mm. which is at like that point you're SOL. Super scary. That's crazy. Yeah, at that point you're like things are it's dire. Not, it's not a good situation. Yeah, things are dire. Yeah, um, yeah. Because if you think dire. about like if your head is entrapped, that means that your shoulders probably aren't going to go up very easily either. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I just can't even imagine trying to do a Zavanelli on a baby. That's me neither. Like that. You know, just has a head, head entrapment. Okay. Um, so anyway, to devoid, avoid this whole, you know, rigmarole, if you will. Is that a word? I don't know. It is. Anyway. It's, yeah. it's a fine word. Um, so people do, like we talked about earlier, external cephalic versions. Rah, rah. Yes. So it actually has a 60% success rate. Um, and it's higher with transverse lie. So basically, it's where you Have I, push wait, the baby's wait, wait. head. Have I described this on the show before? Mm, I, I think so. But of the ECV. Anyway. Yeah, describe it. So I think in my memory, there were three providers involved, but one of them was the attending and was sort of, you know, I mean, she was definitely involved, but there was an attending and then mm-hmm. two um, residents. And they were essentially, Christine was on her back on the, um, on a exam table and they were essentially pushing very, very hard on her belly to try and rotate Coraline into the correct position. And from my perspective, sitting in the corner of the room, trying to stay out of the way, it was the most frightening thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, I mean, they were pushing hard it was it looked like hard work but um christine kept laughing during it because she was <laughs> because she was ticklish um and uh and uh the the attending said that she'd never heard anybody laugh through it before i gather it's not uh, very comfortable even though christine was laughing um Which is in not... fact it sounds a little i don't know if painful is the right word but i mean they were pushing yeah it's a lot of pressure um so was, this was not so a it's gentle basically where procedure you push, it's basically where you push not... the head down yeah. And you try to go, the first attempt is like to go the front way. So they kind of like flip over their head. You can go the back way as well. It's successful, more successful with the transverse lie, which makes sense because the baby You're is halfway there. Know, across the top of the uterus, if you will. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, complication rates are actually less than 0.5%, but the 
I guess main complication that you have to be ready for is that like you have fetal compromise and have to like do a stat C-section. Right. You can have like placental abruption where the placenta like breaks away from the uterine wall, um, hemorrhage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you can use like uter- uh, like tuberutiline, which is relaxes the uterus. Yeah, I don't remember if there are any medications involved. Yeah, a tocolytic uh, and an epidural as adjuncts. We always use tuberculin and an epidural. Mm-hmm. Same. So that's kind of it. Also, okay, there's something they mentioned in Williams, which is kind of interesting. It's called moxibustion. Do you know what this is, Katie? No. Whatever it is, it sounds cool. It, sounds it is cool. Fun. It's a traditional Chinese medicine technique. Moxibustion. Where you burn a yeah. cigarette stick of art... Um, Artemisia vulgaris, which is mugwort, um, at a certain acupuncture point, and it's supposed to increase fetal movement and pro- um, promote spontaneous breech version. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that work? It's performed uh, between thirty-three and thirty-six weeks. Um, the random, the results are conflicting. I can imagine. Uh, of course, yeah. It's <laughs> okay. It sounds like something so, they might do at Hogwarts. <laughs> Try it if I was breech. Why not? I, hey, you I know, as long do. as it doesn't it hurt anything. Yeah. Um, okay, so speaking of that, so one of the midwife, the lay midwives here that um, brings patients to us sometimes, we were looking at her website one day, and one of the things it says as a way to turn a breech baby is to take a light and shine it on your belly and trace it like to the bottom so that your baby will like follow the light. <laughs> <laughs> like a moth. Follow the light. Like, yeah. Like a moth. That's brilliant. That's really funny. That is brilliant. I know. Okay. Fair enough. If only. Yeah. Good times. I, I think this is interesting because I was going to talk about C-sections today. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Well, I read uh, in the past week um, about a new program. So I'm going to set this up. I mean, as you said, C-sections are a pretty popular birth option for moms and doctors. uh, So do you guys know what the, I mean, it's, it happens that moms choose a C-section, even though they, it might not be medically necessary. Does that still happen? Not at our hospital. Sometimes. Rarely. Okay. So it's, it's, yeah, rarely. It's rare. Okay. Um, So I just wanted to know that because of the stats for our respective states as of 2016, Katie, North Carolina had uh, 29.4% C-section rate. Um, where I am in Iowa, it falls in a range of, uh, it's about 30.1%. And Texas uh, is in the top of the, is in the top range at 34.4%. Do you mean North Carolina or South Carolina? I said North Carolina. I should have said, did I, you mean South I, sh- I should have looked up South Carolina because that's where you actually live, damn it. Mm-hmm. But anyway. That's okay. It's right next door. It's got to be the same, right? Nope. <laughs> they're just, they're, it's, it's different. You know, oh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, it's, okay. it's it's more than it's it's definitely more than a quarter. Um, and the folks at uh, uh, Ariadna Labs um, at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard School of Public Health. Oh, that's uh, what's his name? Atul Gawande. Yeah, is the guy in charge there? I guess. Um, he believes that they believe that many, if not the majority, of C sections are avoidable. So they've set up this team birth project. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. No. Currently, uh, it's currently in a in four hospitals. Two year trial or two, or two year um, test period is underway. But the project is looking to. So their goal is to completely change the way labor and delivery takes place, and 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 the emphasis is on 
a team approach, which includes the mom, the doctor, and the nurse. Now, okay, we're already, I'm like, well, isn't it a team anyway, right? Oh, I think I saw an MP article, article about Yeah, it. yeah. So moms... They talked about twins. Yeah. Moms don't come to the hospital until they're in active labor. So I think that's... Um, well, anyway, the preferences of the mother act as the goals for the team's plan. And everything about that plan, and this is the, this is the important part... Everything about the plan that the mom, the nurse, and the doctor come up with, it's all written out on a whiteboard in the room. It includes everybody's name, it includes responsibilities, it includes uh, progress that's been made, and it includes assessments, both past and future. So, and the, assess the assessments part is important because it includes things that have not been done yet, and this part was important to patients they consulted in designing the process. Many of them didn't understand what the next step was going to be. You know, they never knew what was going to happen. And so by putting all these assessments, you know, sort of plotting it out um, as best they could, um, they sort of had an idea of where things were, were and what to expect next. And, um, you know, putting it all out there for the families to see what's going on and what will happen next, it just everybody remembers the goals of the team and it basically serves as a checklist for everybody to keep track of what needs to be done. And one of the goals of this seems to be to sort of disrupt the habits or the culture of the hospitals where C-sections are, you know, m routine, sort of, you know, perhaps unnecessarily so. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, what do you, you know, we should do an episode about C-sections and what happens during one. Yeah, we should. Yeah. But what do you, Kay, uh, Corbin, sounds like you read this article. What do you think of this sort of team birth project idea? I like it. Um, I mean, some of it is stuff that you guys already do, I think, as providers. I mean, you're communicating with your patient, you're planning things out a little bit, but it sounds like the, I think the formalization of the plan in writing on a wall where everybody can see it, I think is kind of... I think there's a lot that like people don't know, you know, about birth that we just assume and like decisions get made really quickly. And so I think that it's always good to have a plan and know what people's roles are and yeah though and maybe and maybe when the plan changes what that means what it's you know what's going to happen if the plan yeah. needs to change that sort of thing because once I mean you you know a mom with a I imagine that a mom with a really with a plan that's important to her when things go wrong and the plan changes well now it's completely out of her understanding of what's going on it's completely out of her right. control yeah. already. We always joke that if you come in with a birth plan that says absolutely no C-section, then you <laughs> basically signed up for your C-section. <laughs> well, I think that's another thing, though, is like helping people make goals that are like smart and realistic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's another thing is because I don't think people fully understand that like there are certain goals that aren't realistic because it's unless you're okay with leaving with a not a live baby yeah. to be on. You know what I mean? Like, you, you mean, I, yeah. that, I guess that's a little harsh, but like, but I mean, true. there are like some goals that aren't realistic because it's not up to you it, or the doctor. It's up to how things go. Yeah. Like if your baby starts, mm -hmm. if you're, you know, four centimeters dilated and your baby has a terminal D cell, which means, you know, a D cell that the heart rate doesn't come back up. Unless you want your baby to die, you're getting a C-section. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. And, and I imagine in that case. And I mean, and by want your baby, unless you're okay, you know what I yeah, mean? You're I being, mean you're, want you're, your baby you're, to die. But. Yeah. You're, you're making a point. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that in an emergent situation, well, you know, all bets are off. Nobody, nobody's writing on the whiteboard while you're being, right. you know, right. pushed to the, to the OR. But, um, 
you know, but just like helping people like make smart, you know, like having that conversation between like provider and patient so that you can like appreciate what people want out of their birth experience, but also like do it in a safe way in a way Mm -hmm. that, yeah, cuts down on C-sections and all that jazz. I imagine it just helps providers also sort of keep their eye on the prize, which isn't necessarily like, I mean, you know what the, the, the real prize is, you know, a healthy baby and a healthy mom. Right. But um, to have it, you know, sort of written down, you know, where everybody can see it, I imagine sort of focuses attention in a way that it might not otherwise, especially if you have, you know, I don't know, five or six moms going at one time or something like that. Do you think that might be part of it? Well, I think it just gets really hard when you have a lot of like um, people laboring and people coming into labor and, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I read uh, a st- about a study from 2015, it claims that the benefits of C-sections on overall maternal and infant health sort of plateau at a rate, at a a population rate of about 19%. Above 19%, there are few benefits to uh, to moms or or infants. Um, But, you know, here we are up at, you know, you know, some in some cases above 30%. So or 30, you know, third, basically. And the federal government has set a target for 23, for, I'm going to say 24% of first time low risk mothers getting C-section. So, um, the, the, so far in one hospital, they mentioned in this article, the, the low risk C-section rate has dropped, you know, by a pretty modest 4%, um, over the first four months, but there's still, you know, still an ongoing effort. Just the more people talk, the better. That's how I feel sure. about it. Yeah. Do you think, do you think though, it would be a little frustrating? I mean, no, I think it gives you a structured way to talk about it. Yeah. So you wouldn't see it as a, as an encroachment on your, it would probably feel like another hoop to jump. Through. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's a fair amount of, you know, record keeping involved that mm-hmm. might be the less enjoyable part of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. anybody have fallopian files i do so i've been watching or this weekend i finally didn't have to work for once yeah so i watched all of the show good girls revolt on mm. amazon oh good it's good it's about uh i think it's based on a true story I, but I, it's like very fictionalized obviously but um basically these female writers at this magazine in the 60s they well, they're not writers. They're not reporters. They're researchers, and they're not allowed to be writers. Like they're not allowed to write any of the yeah. stories. Um, and so they um get a lawyer from the ACLU and like sue. Well, they write a formal complaint of to their company, but like the idea is that they're gonna like sue if they don't get the ability to become re- reporters and like get equal wages and everything like that. So it's really good. Cool. There's only one season. Um, I don't know if they're making another season. I've been watching Narcos, which is really good. I started that I one. I watched it before. I like never watched the original Narcos. And then Narcos Mexico came out and I watched that and I really liked it. So then I'm now I'm watching the original Narcos. Well, all right. Is that your fallopian file then? That's my fallopian file. My fallopian file is my fireplace. You guys, mm, that sounds nice. I've not had a fireplace before. Do either of you live in a place with a fireplace? No. Okay, make it a priority for, for <laughs> after your residency. We live in the well, South. I have. We don't have to have fireplaces anymore. I have. Yeah, but is it before. was it your own fireplace? Or was it your parents? Or it something? was a it was a um, wood stove. Okay. Well, yeah, I grew up in a house with a fireplace. Um, didn't haven't had one. Uh, since owning a home these many years. Um, but I got a fireplace in my new house 
And of course it's winter now and I'm using it and I'm addicted to my fireplace. I just want that smoky, that smoky smell in my life all the time. I love it. So relaxing, so warm and you get to poke at it, <laughs> satisfying my inner pyro. So I, perhaps this is not accessible to everybody, but you know, if you have a fireplace well, and you don't use it, you're crazy. You, Dave. Thank you. Yeah. When I come visit you, I'll sit in front of your yeah. fireplace. Yeah. I even had- We need a vagabond reunion. So. Yeah, we do. I, I had, how was your, th- you, you came home for Thanksgiving. I did. Yeah. I didn't get to see you. I know. I was in Des Moines. Yeah hours away. That's all right. I didn't have a car. That's all right. So I couldn't drive to Iowa City. That's all right. I expected you to be uh, with the fam. You didn't have much time. Next time. Yeah. Next time. Yeah. If you come in the winter, we can sit by the fire. Perfect. All right. Sounds like we're... Well, team. Sounds like we're done. It's been real. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.